Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Old Everald and Young James Talk Politics. Uh, there's been a submarine deal early this week, which we could talk about for a whole show. But there's also apparently an election coming up in New South Wales next Saturday, so we'll have to talk about that too, won't we? Yeah, we will. <clears throat> we will. And let's start off. Well, first of all, I've got to say <clears throat> that I have great respect for the acumen of our Prime Minister Albo. He would have had in his mind a definite reason for wanting to go ahead of that. I'm, I'm not terribly impressed with Richard Miles, who's in charge of defence, he gives me the feeling that he's out of his depth and hanging on to this uh, thing that the Liberals in, in inherited from uh, from the Liberals. Then we have the situation of Paul Keating buying into the whole, uh, <coughs> the whole issue in a very spectacular way at this press club and Keating, he managed to express, as he often has in his life, the doubts that a lot of Australian people have uh, have got about it. Now, I'm uh, interested in you. You're going to be around. I doubt if I'm going to be around when these subs arrive. Uh, uh, there's a fair chance that you may, they may arrive before you're a grey old man. <coughs> but, and I can't work out for the life of me why it takes so long to make a sub. And what use are the things when you get them? But you tell me your view as a young Aussie who doesn't want to have Australia blown up in a world war somewhere. How do you see the AUKUS now? I hate it. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's dangerous. I think it escalates tensions in the region. I think it pisses off China more than unnecessary. And it ties our fortunes to um, the US, who are inflicted with internal turmoil, and the UK, who are a dying country. Um, the Look, the only way Australia will enter a war with China is if China does something to Taiwan and we join in. And that would be, to my mind, the dumbest decision an Australian Prime Minister would make in my lifetime to join in a war in the Pacific over regional disputes about Taiwan. Um, it's not... I don't want to be blown up. I don't want my family to be blown up, my friends to be blown up. Um, entering a war with a country we have no business being at war with our largest trading partner, um, because they, if, if China does move on Taiwan, obviously not necessarily a fan of that, but that doesn't mean we should join a war and risk our lives and livelihoods to fight for another country. Intervention is bad to my mind. It's dangerous. Um, but unless we do that, make no mistake, we are at no risk of being invaded by China. China has no interests in starting a sea war with Australia that America would join, that Britain would join, that Japan, India, South Korea would all join. China has no interests in doing that. We do not need these submarines. And the one thing that gets me really, really mad, the price tag is $368 billion. Now, whenever someone wants to push a social program, the Greens want to put dental health coverage into Medicare. The first question people ask is, well, how can we pay for that? We can't do it. It's too expensive. Yeah, it's a good idea, but your head's off in the clouds. Way too expensive. But when it's when it's defence spending, that question is never asked. No one ever says, hey, you know, no one in the media, I should say, ever says when it's something like this, how are we going to pay for it? 
Now, $368 billion is a lot of money to be irresponsibly committing. And this wasn't even committed by legislation in the parliament subject to debate. This was committed by signing an international contract. So it's not like we even had the benefit of parliamentary debate on this to suss out the ins and outs of how much it's going to cost uh, and hold the government accountable. This has been a decision by the executive to sign a contract committing $368 billion of our money, my money, your money, to war machines. Now, I would much rather my $368 billion go to making nice with China, go to social housing, go to putting dental coverage into Medicare, helping single parents, um, helping vulnerable groups, resettling refugees, working for peace and stability in the Pacific. Um, I, I could complain well, all day. Let me put it this way, James. What's interesting about this is that you are, your political leanings are to the left towards the Labor Party, and and and, and your comments, are, you know, are interesting to me. Now, one of the reasons why Albo was able to make an executive decision about this is that he knew that Dutton would back whatever he did, because it was Dutton who was the. Who was the previous Defence Minister who started the AUKUS thing with, with Morrison. And so Albo could move knowing that there was no way that, that the, the opposition were going to oppose him. In fact, he muted them totally in the whole the whole thing. But that's no reason to spend $368 million now, billion. A lot of people are saying, well, look, you know, I, I, I question like you whether China's a threat. And I've had people attack me on Twitter saying, well, you're just like the people who turned a blind eye to Adolf Hitler and Mussolini back in 1930. Well, let me tell you that I lived through that era and nothing that Z has done now even remotely resembles what Hitler was doing, uh, obviously killing Jews, doing invading neighbouring countries, uh, whatever you were now trying to beat it. Z has done nothing like that at all in fact doesn't even remotely act like hitler and i can't see any point in, in giving a trouble and to go into a war over taiwan would as i agree with you be an act of stupidity simply because when i was at school china was with the president of china was a fellow called chiang kai-shek who was one of our allies in the in the war against japan he Taiwan was part of China when Chiang Kai-shek, the nationalist guy, governed the country. It was part of China. And when he lost the war, he retreated there because it was part of China. He didn't invade Taiwan and say, here I am. He retreated there because it was part of China. And so Z is quite right in saying politically now it's part of China. Now, mind you, if you go back in history, there were a race of people, indigenous people like the Australian Aborigines who owned that island, but that goes back to me, and people don't take much notice of pinching land off indigenous people. And so when Z says it's part of China, all he's saying was, well, way back before the communists came into power, Taiwan was part of China, and Chiang Kai-shek pinched it off when he retreated, losing a war. So I think the whole issue of defending ourselves uh, in this is, is crazy, and the cost is crazy, and I still can't for the life of me work out have some submarines, and we're relying on Z not starting a war till 2040. We've got to say to Z, look, hang around, mate, for a while before you start a war because it's going to take us all this time, you know, to, to build these submarines. 
where, where does that get us? He can lob rockets on Australia right now without, and, and what's a submarine going to do to stop him? So, so the whole thing to me doesn't add up. But I'd like to know why a man of Anthony Albanese's common sense has signed up with this thing. It, 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 uh, it doesn't uh, ring true in my view. Now, yeah, I mean, and I think we both agree with Paul Keating that, that China is no threat to us and that they don't want to invade us and do want a prosperous relationship with us, which makes it all the worse. One thing I was thinking of is, like, realistically, strategically, what do we have in common with the US and the UK? You no. could argue that we're all democracies. We've said on this show before that America is probably not a democracy because of certain ways in their voting system, they actively disenfranchise voters of colour and poorer voters. But putting that to one side, you could say there's that. But the US is a whole ocean and like 20,000 miles away. The UK is even further away. We're separated from the UK by continents, you know. If you were to try to go to the UK from here, you'd have to cross fly over America or fly over Asia and Europe. The UK has no interest in the Pacific. The UK has no business dictating our foreign policy in the Pacific. The US has no interest, has no uh, standing to dictate our foreign policy in the Pacific. What we should be doing is bearing an independent foreign policy. What would work for us, Australia, is keeping a good trading relationship with countries like America, while also keeping a great trading relationship with countries like China and further working to build our relationships with Japan, South Korea, India, Indonesia, Singapore, all those other countries in Asia. Instead of becoming and implanting ourselves as a major player in diplomacy in Asia, we're saying, no, no, we're, we're retreating home to daddy and the, the big white people countries um, of the Atlantic Ocean. You know, we're, we're, we're turning our backs on, on our role in the Pacific as a potential leader and instead saying, no, no, whatever we're going to do, we're going to let America and the UK call the shots for us, which is just mind-bending. Well, well, let's summarise it, you know, this way. I agree with you. I cannot see any value in the relationship with America and Britain, two unreliable countries. And in fact, if there's somebody who scares the hell out of me more than President Z, for some people, it is the Republican Party mm -hmm. in the Congress. Absolutely. Take America, America in. If they get in at the next election with a Republican president, they will become the most fearsome mob in the world. They will make Z look like he's a Sunday school teacher, you know, in terms of, you know, how, how he goes and so on. I, I just can't see it. Elbow smart thing he did last week was to go to India and start a relationship with India. Now India has problems with China over the border around the Himalayas and you know and uh, what have you. And the other nation in the line of fire is Indonesia. And, and it would make sense to China if China saw us have some sort of tripartite defence deal in which Australia, Indonesia, and India upgraded our defence capabilities in various complementary ways. So the three nations in the Pacific who are in the are in an alliance. That makes some sense. It makes no sense to have it with the United States and with Britain. And so we've got a saga going on, and it's interesting how, how Paul Keating 
wide in this week, and and and, and there's, there's no doubt there's no way that Paul Keating's going to move to the right or whatever he owns. The fact of the matter is that a former Prime Minister made a statement that, in my view, the majority of Australians believe was right. They might like Keating, but they believed he said what was right. So we've got a strange thing unfold, and this could be a, 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 a major political mistake by Albo, who I, I think is an astute politician. And I can't work out why he's made this. And it could, it could destroy his prime ministership, and I would be very sad, you know, if that happened. Yeah, it's, to my mind, aside from keeping the Level 3 tax cuts, which admittedly was a promise last election, so we knew that going in, this has been a huge, huge disappointment to me. Um, a huge disappointment. And it should be said, like, we both think China poses no threat to Australia, and so does Paul Keating. But that's not the only argument against these subs. Peter Garrett also weighed in this week, and he said, look, he doesn't agree with Paul Keating's assessment that China poses no threat to Australia, but the fact that we're investing in this nuclear technology puts us on a dangerous path in an arms race and makes the world a lot less safe because we have to find somewhere to dump the nuclear waste we increase our risk of nuclear misfortune, you know, a nuclear accident happening in our country. Um, and he's, Peter Garrett's a big denuclearization advocate, uh, so am I. And so, it, to me, even putting aside the um, the stuff that me and you agree on about that they're unnecessary and warmongery and um, piss off our biggest trading partner and don't help our relationship with China, even putting all that to one side, um, nuclear anything, I'm opposed to um, because it's dangerous, it's risky, and especially nuclear military technology, um, that's the most dangerous military technology of all. You know, one mishap and you could have a terrible, terrible nuclear waste disaster on our hands. Look what happened in Fukushima in Japan at the power plant there in 2011. Um, just yeah, having more... An antiquated power station, mate, that was a bad jump mm -hmm. that. Power station should have been put out of commission years before. A modern nuclear power station is a pretty safe place and doesn't wreck the environment, except for what do you do with the waste that, that, that mm. comes out of it? But look, I, and that was interesting that Peter Garrett came out to do that. Look, we, I, I'll be interested this week to see the fallout uh, of this whole situation. And, and you've got to wonder whether it will affect the status of the Labour Party in the new. Mm. Wild election. Let's, let's move over to that while we're on it. It's next Saturday. One of the most boring elections I've seen in my life. I've, I've seen some hillbilly elections, maybe this one in New South Wales, between two blokes who are absolute non-entities in my view, and they're getting around ranting and raving about all sorts of obscure things. And the people in New South Wales have got to make a choice. I just hope that there's a lot of independence running that people can you know, can you know can get them to vote. But I'm wondering whether the backlash that's out there against this this AUKUS deal done by a Labor government, whether that where people will come out in the polls and, and vote against Labor that except uh, Dutton has come out and said he's in favour of it. And so I, you might have a shot at the uh, at the other side. So it's, it's an interesting phenomenon as to how people are going to vote next week. How do you how do you see the New South Wales election? I mean, I, I think people are generally pretty good at distinguishing between state and federal parties. And if they're mad at the federal party, they might 
not necessarily vote differently at a state election. But uh, if I wasn't someone who cared a lot about politics and read a lot about politics, I'd probably have no idea an election was on this Saturday. It's been a very low-energy campaign. Um, the ads on TV, to, to their credit, um, to Min's and Perite's credit, there's been a couple of attack ads, but nothing particularly fierce or particularly vile. Um, but I suppose by the same token, it just makes the stakes feel low. Um, that there, there isn't. There's a, there's a, there's a bit separating the two parties. But there's not a whole lot. Neither party's coming in with like, say, a really, really visionary policy proposal or policy slate that is going to get people activated. The one thing that I think is the unknown factor in this election, and we started this in New South Wales at the last election, um, last state election, is optional preferential voting. So in federal elections, which is the way it should be, in my opinion, in the lower house, you have to number every box. In New South Wales, you can just number one and then not do any preferencing after that. Now, in a lot of seats, um, I think about a third of the seats in the parliament one nation is campaigning and one nation is maybe putting forward a pretty strong campaign, strong in the sense of not that I agree with anything they say, but they've got Mark Latham at the helm. They've got a lot of money, um, a lot of backing from Sky News and the Murdoch papers and all that. Now, if the um, one nation voters all vote one and do not put their preference flows down, that's going to hurt the Liberals quite a bit. And in seats like Penrith, my seat, where One Nation uh, sometimes polls at like 10%, uh, One Nation voters not doing their preferences could be the difference um, between Labor or Liberal winning the seat, given the seats held by like a 1% margin. So this whole optional preferential voting thing could see um, some shenanigans on election night. Well, well, true, but uh, I'm, I'm opposed to preferential voting. People, you know, numbering boxes one to ten sometimes in electorates, and you find some obscure candidates harvest preferences and, and gets in. And I, 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 and I, now I don't like first past the post, but I would think that in, in an election, if we just said to people, you vote one for the candidate you want, and we'll give you one preference, you can put a box to say, if my guy doesn't get in, this is who I would for the second choice, bang. So there's only one preference, and we don't get all these little guys harvesting preferences, which totally distort elections. In, and in the Senate, there are people in the Senate who got in with a 1,000 votes in, in federally in, 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 in their state and got there by preferential stuff, which I think is an abuse of democracy. It'd be very interesting, though, to see how the optional preferential thing we did have it in Queensland for one election, or maybe two optional preferences, and most people didn't didn't take the option. They just put a one down, and and they, it was almost a first past the post election. So it'd be interesting to see how many people really want to put a preference down, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm going to have to push back on what you said because that preference harvesting only does happen in the Senate, and I'd say that's more a problem with the Senate than a problem with the concept of preferential voting. But maybe that's a discussion for another day. You know, it sounds well, well, like we've got some fertile ground. Now, now look, I, I said to you at the start of the program, I was having trouble thinking of a good guy of the week. And 
I've now got a good guy. I, I forgot I launched a book this week called uh, Catching the Linville Train, a history of the 90-year era when I left to see the world on a train from the little town of Linville, uh, you know, where I, where I was born. And 130 people turned up to my launch and they bought my book. And I just wanted to say that they're my good guys for the week and I have to People everywhere keep uh, turning up. At and I had an interesting range of people. I had Wayne Swan come along to talk. And on the other side, I had Liberal Senator Paul Scar. And, and they were sitting together happily with me. And I showed you that it is possible to have civility in politics and had a wonderful master of ceremonies in Rebecca Livingston of the ABC, who handled all the politicians who were there with greater prompt. But anyway, they are my good guys of the week. James, well, well, who are your good guys? Well, you, you stole my thunder because my good guy of the week was going to be Avril Compton, the author of Catching the Linville Train. Um, well, I, I remember you said two years ago, maybe, um, when you wrote Dinner with the Founding Fathers, that it's your goal to churn out one book a year, isn't it? Yeah. So um, what's, what's the next one for our, for our listeners? Is, is there a next one? The next one is actually about uh, religion. The next one is, 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 and I've started, and it's called walking with the great spirit and it's all about how the churches of today have in my view totally destroyed christianity a lot of the myths around christianity and that in fact there are some very simple things that one does to be a follower of a guy called jesus of nazareth some simple things but i'm writing a book about famous people who made an impact about religion right throughout the world and the impact they had and what it caused. And so you'll find many famous characters in the book that you will know about, St. Francis of Assisi and William Wilberforce, who was a Christian who kicked the slaves out. And so I'm going to do an analysis of what, what impact good Christianity had and some of the ones that were bad and, and, and how I believe we now don't need churches like Hillsong, uh, uh, you know, who, who, who plunder uh, people's personal lives with absolute nonsense. And, and so that, that's my next book. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that, that, that'll, that'll be a must read, I think, because um, there's definitely, there's been a pushback around the world to institutional religion because of some of the horrible things that institutional religion has done. You know, sex abuse within the Catholic Church, um, like you say, Hillsong's influence on politics and people taking their money um, and promoting hatred and division. And I think it is good to remind people that religion can be used for good and to encourage that sort of thing because that, that's how we practice what we do. So Yeah, well, that, 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 that happened now. Yeah, now, now with, uh, you know, with the bad guy the week, I did want to raise this fellow from, uh, you know, from Hillsong uh, uh, Brian Houston, and, and uh, uh, the fact that it, it took a brave man in Parliament, Andrew Wilkie, to release all those documents that, that showed the massive fraud of money, plus massive misbehaviour. This guy who set himself up as a Christian, in fact, was a, a drunk and a chaser of women, and he can sue me. The best way for us to get listeners to this podcast be it Brian Houston sues me about this. We'll have a lot of listeners next week. Uh, you know, but, but uh, you know, this bloke has done just as a matter. But there's too many people like him. There's too many. The Christian right is trying to take over the Liberal Party all over Australia. And don't joke, they're trying to take the Liberal Party over and have so-called Christian candidates that every Liberal candidate 
there's got to be a born again Christian, uh, you know, that, that, that and, and a Pentecostalist, uh, you know, and and, and that is, is what's bad, uh, you know, uh, about this fellow Houston and and, uh, and 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 what's going on, and the whole legacy of George Pell is going to rest be around for a long time. There'll be chapters about both those blokes in my book, by the way. Yeah. And you'll be a good lawyer by then, young James. You'll be in charge of all people who sue me. But, but that's what's going to happen in my next book. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Um, my my bad guy this week is um, the Queensland government. And um, this is this is a show where I've been relentlessly slagging off the Labor Party, so I might as well continue. Uh, the Queensland government, under the cover of the, all the, the discussion being about AUKUS, has used this week to pass some horribly draconian laws to make it easier to throw kids in jail. Now, you're in Queensland. You would have seen on the news in recent months a lot of reporting about crime in far north Queensland committed by youths. And there were some horrible stories. I think a woman got murdered during a break and enter gone wrong by some kids. Now, there's been a million reports conducted into how to solve youth crime. And they've been conducted from, you know, people like commie, pinko, lefty, radical academics, and they've been conducted by ex-commissioners of police. And the most recent report in Queensland was conducted by Bob Atkinson, the former commissioner of police. And if anyone's going to do a big report into crime and say the answer to crime is more police and harsher sentencing, it's the former police commissioner. And yet even he came out in his report in, I think, 2018 or 2016 and said, look, locking kids up just causes more crime. It does nothing. Because what happens when you lock kids up is they come out without direction. They come out without structure. They come out without any friends. They might not have family. They don't have a job. They have no money. They have nothing to do. They're behind in their schooling. And so they just go back and do more crimes. And then by the time they're an adult, all they know is stealing or shoplifting or um, you know, carrying a knife around the street at 11 o'clock at night. And so when they're an adult, they do even more crime. And so every single legal report of note that comes down without fail says harsher sentencing regimes do not work. They do not stop crime. All they do is if you do if you don't have tough laws against what what do you do? You've got to do something in Queensland and I think it's probably all over track. We do have a massive amount of youth. I'm thinking up in Townsville, which is a city that I have a lot to do with down the years. Crime is just manifest, and it's got local politicians. They're doing their best to try and find social ways of handling this, improving it. Yeah. So the point is, if you don't lock them up, what do you do? Well, given locking them up, again, is scientifically proven to cause more crime, and more hardship on the community. That can't be the answer. Um, in I was talking to someone who worked for like Department of Communities and Justice Queensland, and he told me that there are a lot of programs, like, for example, circle sentencing. And circle sentencing is where an Indigenous offender is sentenced not just by our state courts, but with input from local elders and gets a sentence that reflects both the desires of the broader community but also what is seen as an adequate punishment in their local Indigenous community. And that has really good rehabilitation and offending rates. But all the programs like that, um, 
the funding and that is only in southeast Queensland, in and around Brisbane and the cities and the metros. And the infrastructure for those programs hasn't been set up in the north, which is where they're most needed. So there are a whole bunch of community-based rehabilitation and outreach programs. But from what I've been told, all the like the state funding from those programs is always funneled into Brisbane and city surrounds, and it doesn't reach the far north where it's most needed. So that would be step one to my mind. Well, James, this is a thing I think we should continue to talk about. Hot issue here in Queensland. Now, if you take it politically, there is a public outcry up here. Yes, kids up because. The, the, the crimes are awful, and, and, and it's not safe for a woman to go walking the streets here by herself. And, and there have been people stabbed and murdered. Anastasia would, would have mass, if a vote was held tomorrow on this issue, Anastasia would win because of the public act. Now, all that means is we're not saying to the public, well, there's a better way to do this, but the outrage is there. Oh, for sure. And I would, I, I would rather all these billions going into the suburbs in San Diego to, to have the rehabilitation program you're talking about. And dysfunctional families, it goes far beyond crime. My daughter's a school teacher. She has kids come to school from dysfunctional families who are little thugs. And, and there's a, a, a decent living here. She's got to live with them in the classroom and cop abuse from them and whatever and try and keep her calm and do all the other teachers. And you say to yourself, We've got to reform the classrooms in somehow so the school teacher doesn't have things thrown at her, you know, by, by kids who eventually, when they leave school, start breaking into homes. It, mm. It's an enormous problem, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's such a multifaceted problem because, like you say, it's it's schools, it's home life, it's um, sports. Like, you, you live in, you know, Cairns, but not, not in Cairns or Townsville City, but some of the surrounding areas. Um, there's nothing to do. It's 40 degrees and sickeningly humid every day. You might not have many mates. Um, you can't play weekend sport because your family can't afford it. You don't have a car. But you do have a couple of fellas who say, oh, you know, come around at night. We'll we'll get some wheels and go for a joyride. Of course you're going to join them. You know, of course the the cool 16-year-old older fella from your your local community who says, hey, you know, come for a spin with me in this tricked out car I just broke into. Now, of course, you're going to jump in and take it for a ride. So it's it's a really, it's not, it's not going to be cheap to fix, um, but it's going to require a full, full court press on your schools, communities, families. And, and it's going to take long term. And one of them, let's take this up next week, because I believe there should be a program of older Australians like me in which we attempt to, when, when kids get into strife, get into crime, that we can be voluntary mentors who don't lecture them and get round and thunder them, say the Lord's going to come and get them. But somewhere or other, uh, they can find in that older Australians start to use their wisdom and their know-how to befriend kids and, and to get them out of this situation. I'd like to talk about that. So we're, yeah. we're probably uh, uh, up for uh, our... Uh, yeah, half hour now, James, yep. but it's been a good chat. And, and and there's a number of other social issues in Australia that are cropping up that we can pick up on our program uh, week by week because we do have Australian society disintegrating in a way. I haven't seen it in my 90 years before. I'm not getting gloomy about it. I've not been panicked. But, but this whole youth crime thing is just one 
of the problems that Australia faces. Gambling is another one, and I'd like to talk about that. I know it's a big issue in the New South Wales elections, and so I think we can we can have a section each time on our podcast about one of the social issues of the week, which will be important thing. But bye for now, James. We'll have a talk next week. Yep. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, go out and vote for. Chris Minns and the Labor Party, I say it, the uh, upcoming state election for all our New South Wales listeners. And uh, have a great week. Thanks, James.